Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Back uh, on the 6th of February 2019, there was a press release by uh, RMIT University, so that's the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology University, and um, the statement was, researchers have found bees can do basic mathematics in a discovery that expands our understanding of the relationship between brain size and brain power. And I thought, um, wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. So looking into it a little bit further, the, uh, the press release and uh, some of the media associated with it went on to say that uh, researchers have found that bees can do basic mathematics and that um, building on their finding, it seems that uh, honeybees can understand the concept of zero. Um, and this was in uh, some research that was a collaborative study between Australian and French researchers um, that uh, where they set out to test whether bees could perform arithmetic operations like addition and subtraction. It appears that um, they could actually do some uh, basic mathematics, which was um, you know, quite, quite interesting because they say solving math problems requires a sophisticated level of cognition and fairly complex mental management of numbers and so forth. And so uh, one of the reasons they were studying it, of course, was that um, they're looking for research that, or doing research that can help them in the future development of uh, artificial intelligence um, and particularly um, looking at uh, ways that they can improve rapid learning uh, in the areas of artificial intelligence. So an interesting that the... Um, Researchers from RMIT University in Melbourne said that the new study showed that bees can be taught to recognise colours as symbolic representations for addition and subtraction and that they can use this information to solve arithmetic problems. Uh, Associate Professor Adrian Dyer said that the numerical operations like addition and subtraction are complex because they rely require two levels of processing. Uh, you need to be able to hold the rules around adding and subtracting in your long-term memory while mentally manipulating a set of given numbers in your short-term memory, Dyer said. So he went on to say that on top of this, our bees also use their short-term memories to solve arithmetic problems as they learn to recognise plus or minus as abstract concepts rather than being given visual aids and he went on to say our findings suggest that advanced numerical cognition may be found uh, much more widely in nature uh, among non-human animals than previously suspected. And of course, um, you know, bees are, are quite, um, you know, fascinating little creatures and of course they're, you know, probably everybody no, no. Well, not everybody would have seen a bee, of course, um, necessarily, uh, particularly if you've grown up and living in, in cities and, and this sort of thing. But bees are, are winged insects closely related to wasps and ants. And, of course, we best know them for their role in the, the pollination of uh, flowering of, of plants. 
and also the Western honeybee, of course, for producing honeys, uh, for, yeah, all the different types of honeys that uh, we can buy. Uh, when I looked it up, there are about uh, 16,000 known species of bees that um, occur in uh, seven different types of families, including the honeybees, the bumblebees, there are stingless bees, um, and these bees um, live in, in colonies. Um, while And this is something that I, I didn't know until I actually started doing some looking into it, that most species are actually solitary. Uh, more than 90% of bee species are actually uh, solitary, and they're like uh, mason bees, carpenter bees, leafcutter bees, um, and uh, all these other different types of bees. And um, the article I was reading also said that they're found on every continent ex uh, except Antarctica. The whole uh, idea, of course, of the, um, the bee construction of the beehive is, is also quite fascinating and uh, involves quite a, a bit of uh, mathematics. Um, it's interesting that um, I was uh, reading a, another article um, in the book uh, Design and Catastrophe um, that um, pointed to, again, the mathematics and design in the realm of, of bees was the article by Dr Luciano Gonzalez, who's a, a professor of mathematics at a university in uh, South America, and um, he uh, he writes that uh, Pappas of Alexandria, who lived 290 to 350 AD, um, was a great uh, Greek geometer, and um, he has um, uh, he put together a, a collection of works on uh, Greek mathematics. And he is um, reported as, um, as being the originator of the phrase uh, bees by virtue of a, um, of a certain geometric forethought know that the hexagon is greater than the square and the triangle and will hold more honey for the same expenditure of material. And it's interesting, this, uh, this author, Dr Gonzalez, says that tessellations or tilings that are a collection of polygons that fill the plane with no overlaps or gaps and that uh, regular tessellations, those that use identical regular polygons to fill the space and there are, there are semi-regular tessellations that use two or more regular polygons each with the same side. But there are only three regular polygons that can be used to tessellate the plane to form regular tessellations. And that's the equilateral triangle, the square and the hexagon. And um, the angle around each vertex of a tessellation must be 360 degrees. Therefore, the exterior angle degree of a regular polygon should divide into 360 degrees evenly. And... Um, the interior angles of an equilateral triangle, square and the hexagon, uh, 60, 90 and 120 respectively, which fulfils that requirement. And so these are the only regular polygons with this property. And it's interesting that the bees, of course, um, use the uh, hexagon 
because, as it was pointed out by that uh, ancient uh, Greek geometer, that um, the hexagon uh, provides the maximum area for a given perimeter. And so, uh, you know, I mean, obviously bees have not studied uh, geometrical intricacies of a tessellation theory or the principle of optimal construction design. Uh, but uh, Dr. Gonzalez points out, nevertheless, some of their behaviour patterns when building a hive can be explained mathematically from the perspective of tessellation theory and optimal housing design. And so this is another fascinating thing related to, again, to mathematics. Um, and uh, Dr. Gonzalez goes on to say, well, one such behaviour that makes me think about God as the creator and universal designer is the innate ability of bees to use the least expenditure of energy and materials. You know, he, he goes on to argue that although the bees are surely unaware of the geometrical intricacies of tessellation theory, they were created with the ability to use the optimal design for their honeycombs. Um, he says that um, it can be mathematically demonstrated that of the three polygons, the hexagon has the smallest perimeter for a given area. So when bees are constructing hexagonal prism cells in the hive, they use less wax and do less work to enclose the same space than if tessellating space with prisms of square or triangular bases. Um, and the fact that they use a... A very accurate, you know, geometric shape to me is is quite astounding. I mean, in many cultures, even humans, um, you know, didn't do that uh, and didn't um, hadn't uh, struck on that um, discovery. The honeycomb walls uh, of the walls in the honeycomb are made up of cells that um, are about uh, thirty-two hundredths of a centimetre thick and yet they can support 30 times their own weight. Uh, has amazing uh, strength. The bees create these hexagonal prisms in three rhombic sections, and the walls of the cells meet exactly 120-degree angles. Uh, Dr. Gonzalez goes on to say, what is truly remarkable is that bees work simultaneously on different sections of the honeycomb, which shows by their behaviour a strong feeling of collectivity, communication and unity of purpose throughout the hive. So they can be working on different sections all at once and they all align. He concludes, that's uh, Dr Gonzalez, I think God shows himself in several ways in our universe, both in the animate and inanimate world. Particularly through bees' behaviour when building their honeycombs, we can think of God as an artist who loves order and beauty, since honeycombs are highly ordered, ascetic structures. Beyond that, we can ponder God as a mastermind who not only created bees as wonderful insects, but also created us as his masterpiece. Yeah, so that's uh, just one of uh, many uh, chapters, of course, in the uh, the book that... Um, came out in uh, May 2021 titled Design and Catastrophe, 51 Scientists Explore Evidence in Nature. 
And so there clearly is amazing evidence for um, design in, um, in nature. You know, one of the things that uh, amazes me about uh, bee design as well is that, um, or the design, is that when the bees are building the parts of the hive um, for the eggs to be laid in where the little larvae hatch and then um, are fed and everything, uh, they eventually become sealed. And uh, the wax that they use to seal over is a, is a porous wax so that the little larvae can um, breathe, of course, until they uh, cut their way out of the, uh, of the cell when they've um, fully matured. So again, here the bees can di- differentiate between the composition of the wax when um, they're building the sides of uh, the uh, hive and also the areas of the hive where they're uh, capping the honey, and yet they use a different wax uh, for where they've got the, um, uh, the eggs and the, the, the little, little baby bees. Um, I think this is really, really amazing. Another uh, area, actually, that has been uh, discovered, you know, quite recently, of course, is that um, the there's been some work done on the honeybee's ability to navigate, and um, it has um, a built-in compass. As it turns out, the bee's orientation is influenced by the Earth's magnetic field, and they've found that bees can detect minute fluctuations in the Earth's magnetic field which are only discernible by sensitive magnetometers. And uh, scientists believe that um, why bees can build a new hive starting from different parts um, in a new area without any bee directing them. And all the bees orient their new comb in the same direction as their old hive. And uh, it's interesting that bees build cell walls with a slope of 13 degrees to make sure that the honey should not be running out before the tops are capped with the wax domes. Of course, they understand that the honeybee, and this is the fascinating part, gets its mathematical training from its genetic code. And so I think, um, you know, when when you think about that, that, that... this ability that the bees have is in their uh, genetic code. Um, it's it's really really fascinating. There are so many, you know, fascinating things that uh, people find associated uh, with the um, bees. The other uh, thing is, of course, um, with the bees that um, when the uh, queen bee lays her eggs. Uh, she can actually decide whether uh, she has both fertilised and unfertilised eggs in her body and she can differentiate whether or not she's laying a fertilised or an unfertilised egg. And the unfertilised eggs, of course, become males and the fertilised eggs um, become females. And the worker bees decide by their feeding which females um, decide to or can become a a queen. Now, actually, they do build larger 
um, cells or for the queen to lay potential queen eggs in. And uh, when this happens, the, the queens are fed only royal jelly. And now this is a special compound that is secreted from the glands on the heads of young worker bees. And so the queen bees, so those, um, when the little eggs hatch, the little larvae are fed only royal jelly. Um, now the uh, worker bees, which are the majority of the bees, are fed some royal jelly for the first few days after hatching, uh, but then they're fed um, a bee bread, which is a mixture of nectar and pollen. And as a result of the difference in the diet, the queen will develop into a sexually mature female, unlike the worker bees. They're females, but not sexually mature. You know, it's um, quite uh, you know fascinating um, the biochemistry that is involved in these changes. Um, there's enormously complex biochemistry involved in the reproductive systems and also just the physical structure of the reproductive systems and uh, how the queen bee stores the sperm um, in her body and so forth. It's um, And all these different aspects are... Um, are pre-programmed into the genetic code. And we have to ask a lot of questions. You know, how do the bees know to feed you know, some bees from this excretion, from uh, their heads, and that that is meant to be a food and that they're to feed some of the larva that, and yet they're meant to feed the other bees only for a couple of days, that excretion, and then change the diet? Um, it's quite fascinating and also, when you just think of the biochemistry involved and the structure to make the glands that excrete the royal jelly, to make the bio chain of biochemical reactions that is responsible to create the compounds that are in the royal jelly, and that these compounds affect the biochemistry in the larvae so that it goes on to develop into a much larger bee, which is sexually mature as a female. You know, when we, when we look at the biochemistry that is involved in these processes that involve hundreds of different types of specific molecules that all have to be synthesised through enzymatically directed chemical reactions in stages and synthesised. And, you know, some of these compounds are quite complex. To attempt to synthesise them in the laboratory would be a very involved process. And all this information is encoded in the genetic code. And yet bees play an important role in, you know, pollinating flowers. And it, it's very interesting that from my understanding of research into, you know, the claim theory of evolution, in insects appear just fully developed with flight fully developed in the geological record. We don't see them solely evolving. Um, and the same flowering plants as, as well. So, you know, for me, there's a major, um, 
you know, it, it points to major problems with the, the theory of evolution as claimed um, because the, you know, the bees need the nectar and the pollen uh, for the you know, for their development, and the flowers need you know pollination uh, from bees, and admittedly it could be other insects like wasps and and so forth. But we see the important role that these um, in this whole ecological system, and that's why to me the biblical account of creation in six literal days makes makes so much sense. So you have the uh, the plants being created on day three and of course the atmosphere is being created on day two that provides the oxygen and carbon dioxide and water vapour and all this sort of thing. Then on day four you have the uh, sun created that provides the the energy then um, uh, to grow uh, the plants for the plants to synthesise carbohydrate that become the food for all the other things and then you know day five we have... um, you know, the different life forms that are created in day six, of course, more uh, life forms and, um, and, and humans, of course, too, with the role of caring for creation. But in terms of ecology, it, it all happens very quickly. Um, it's, um, and that's, we know, when we look at the systems out in nature, they had to be created over a short period of time because there's so... Um, you know, so much synergy is required between different systems and their ecological systems. Um, that's why we have ecology. We have we have a whole lot of uh, systems that are interrelated and interdependent. And it's uh, fascinating, you know, studies that are done where you disrupt the basic balance of one particular species and uh, the whole ecology of the, the system can change and you can get a lot of imbalance and certain other species die and, um, and so forth. But I find it quite fascinating. There are so many properties about honeybees. Honeybees are a good one to study because so much study has gone into honeybees. But when we extend this and realise, well, there is so much that we're still studying and discovering within the, you know, just the, the insect king, kingdom itself. And to think that the enormous variations in the genetic code that all work together, and the theory of evolution claims that these amazing properties, this amazing biochemistry that works, that works in harmony, that fits together um, collaboratively to make uh, a whole process that works arose by blind, random chemical mutations that occurred. I mean, we can see it's just it's it's staring us in the face. It's absolutely impossible. It didn't occur. It had to be created. It had to be created created also by a super intelligent mind. And I find it fascinating that the Bible when it talks about on day six how God remained humans in the in the image of, of himself, of God. And I think not so much in the you know the physical form because we know God is spirit, but in the mental form, because you know, as I've pointed out many times on this program, who we are is non material in a sense. It's our thoughts. Our thoughts define who we are. Sure, we're in this particular body that we're in, and it has certain unique characteristics that are us, you know, our colour of our hair, our eyes, our stature, and so forth. 
But who we are, our personality, is in our mind, in our thoughts, which are non-material. You can't weigh your thoughts. You can't measure the volume of your thoughts. They're non-material. And um, and this is the way that we're made in the image of God. And what fascinates me is that we have been able to learn these things. We have been able to study God's creation and see the amazing design features there, the intelligent design. And we've been able to go ahead and, and design certain things. We've been able to build buildings and and uh, machines and um, and then, of course, in the world of electronics and computing, we've been able to create beautiful works of art and pottery and, and so forth and sculpture. And again, this all requires a creative mind. Um, and um, and humans have that ability, particularly where they've learnt and they've language um, and they've developed civilizations, and they've preserved this knowledge. And um, it's fascinating that when we think about um, you know so many of the, particularly in the area of science and the advancement of science that took took place, um, you know, from a thousand years ago onwards. Uh, was on the basis of scientists that were Christians and believed in a creator God and who had created this uh, planet um, for a purpose and um, and that God probably w- was like a mathematician as well and, and uh, could design things. And, of course, the Bible also tells us of God's plan for salvation, that there was wickedness came into the world, and God has a plan to destroy the world and recreate again. And I guess the important thing is we all know we're going to die, but where will you spend eternity? That's the important question. The Bible gives us answers that there will be a new heavens, a new earth, and God plans for those people that choose him to live on that system that will last forever. So that's what the Bible invites us uh, to do and why it is so important. And I would encourage you to uh, to get a Bible and, and read this amazing plan. And remember, if you want to re-listen to these programs, just Google 3ABN Australia, or one word, .org.au and click on the radio and, and listen button. And remember uh, to uh, put links up on your social media pages uh, to your friends And also, remember, you can listen to other programs such as Science Conversations and Evolution Impossible as podcasts and also Evolution Impossible on the TV catch-up link as well. You've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.